young girl's right was wearing a gold, beautiful cross around her neck. And uh, um, she just loved the cross as her favorite cross. One day a man walked up to her and said, You know what? I don't believe the cross that Jesus died on was as pretty as that cross. And she said, You're right. She said, But, she said, It just seems to me that every time Jesus touches something that's ugly, he makes it beautiful. What a thought. Tonight, I want us to talk about the cross, the message of the cross. And we're going to take it from our scripture text here in, here in Corinthians. I, I want to remind you about this Corinthian church. This Corinthian church was, at best, tepid in their spiritual temperature, and at worst, they were just downright cold. If you read this letter that follows chapter 1, in fact, Paul even addresses it in chapter 1, they were plagued with a lot of problems. They had divisions. They had leadership issues. They had immorality. They had perversion in the, in the meetings over the Lord's Supper, perversion of gifts. And though they had a lot of energy, they now had a lot of problems. And I would suggest to you that one of those reasons, one of the reasons is they had take their eyes, taken their eyes off Calvary. They had taken their eyes off the cross. And I just want to say this. It's easy for us to take our eyes off the cross because we hear about it so much and we just want to kind of get accustomed to it. And I want to suggest to you that we never need to get accustomed to the cross. I ask you tonight, how long has it been since you figuratively knelt at the cross of Jesus? And you looked up into his face. And you could see the nails in his hands. And you could see the thorns on his head. You could see his bruised and bodied, bruised and battered body. And then realized it was for you. You know, the cross of Christ did a number of things. And that's what I want the message of the Christ is to not cross tonight. I want to suggest to you that the cross does four things. And the first thing that I would suggest to you is that the cross of Jesus, it divides. Now, we know what a division is. We know when something divides. I mean, you take four, you take eight, and you divide it by two. Even Cameron knows that's four. Or you can take eight and divide it by four. And it's two. We know what that division is. We learned it in school. But we also know what it is to take a ham or a turkey or a deer, if you're lucky enough to kill one, you slice that thing open and you divide it out. You take the meat and you divide it out. It means that it's separated. Did you know that the cross of Jesus Christ divides? You know how I know it divides? Because it divides people. It divides people. Jesus said that there are sheep and there are goats. Actually, I guess I should say sheep and goats. He says that there are two types of people. There are two roadways. There are, there are only two gates. There are two paths. And the cross is the dividing point. It is what we do at the cross that tells us who we are and where we're going. 
We live in a day and age when people don't want to hear the cross. You know what? That makes those do's and those don'ts, those wills and those won'ts, those haves and those have-nots. Because the message of the cross is foolishness to the have-nots. It is pure conjecture to those who don't love Him. And it is the power of God to those being saved. It is the do's and the don'ts, the haves and the have-nots. The cross divides people. I'll just pause right here and, and tell you this because I don't want to forget it. Do you know that it even divides people inside the church? I can take you to a church in the Bible Belt. The former pastor of that church is somebody that's preached from us, for us, and in four years we've had a lot of folks to preach, so don't try to figure out who it is. But as he was in a former church, there was a wealthy man came to him and said, I would like to buy, I would like to put up money and have a cross hung in our worship center. There's no cross anywhere in our worship center. And in that church, the deacons ran the show. And it came to the deacons, Teddy. And the deacons said, no, we don't want the money. If He wants to put it on missions or something else. But we're not going to put a cross up in our worship center because it might be offensive. Now, let me just pause here and say this so you don't think, well, that's one of those contemporary churches. Oh, no. This is one of those churches that's been around since Jesus was here almost. And here's what I will tell you. The truth is the cross is offensive. It's offensive to a world who looks at it as, as we'll get to in a second, as a weakness, as, as death, as defeat. Because you see, the cross of Jesus is foolishness to the world. It divides people. It not only divides people, but it divides philosophies. He says here, he says, you know, where are those philosophers? Where are the scholars? Where are the debaters, the disputers of the age? You see, it divides philosophers because, because philosophies are built on relativism. Philosophies of mankind will not stand up under the scrutiny of the cross. While the philosophies offer only limited questions, the cross makes a statement. And people don't like the cross because it makes that statement. We can go into our country today and we can name a whole bunch of celebrities. Tom Cruise and his Scientology and, and Oprah and whatever in the world she believes. And we can, go, we can go on and on. People thinking there's got to be a lot of ways, and they're only man-made philosophies. And please listen. The sad truth is that many people who say that I believe God's Word, we get caught up in those philosophies. We read our horoscopes every day. And then we adjust our lives. We read those things of this world that are nothing but philosophies. And when we do that, we become cold to the cross. Here's the truth. The cross divides people. It divides philosophies. And it even divides plans. Do you realize, and I, you do realize this because you're here on a Sunday night. Do you realize that when we kneel at the cross, when we go to the cross, when we make a decision there in front of Jesus, do you realize that it has implications for our now and our forever? 
I mean, why do you have to make plans if God already has it planned for you? Hello? When we come to Him in faith, when we kneel at the cross, all of a sudden, all of a sudden our lives take on order. Now, Brother Jerry, I came to the cross and my life took on disorder. Well, may I just say this to you? There's going to be a measure of struggle, but please listen. If your life is in total disarray and you can't see God's hand or, or sense God's heart in your, in your life, could it be that instead of the cross being a failure, could it be that you did like Brother Jerry does sometimes? Now, I know I'm the only one in this room that does this. Lord, I am giving you my struggle here. I am laying it at the cross, and, it's, and you take care of it. I am not going to touch it. And when I get up from the cross to leave, I reach back and I grab it, and I tote it with me, and I don't leave it at the foot of the Savior. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But you see, the cross divides because the cross has plans for us when we come to the feet of Jesus. The cross takes all philosophies and it does away with them. Those philosophers, those debaters, those scribes, those scholars. You see, the cross, we'll get to that in a second, it divides. The second thing the cross does, it displays. Now, you know what a display is? Hello? If you've ever worked in retail, you really know what a display is. If you haven't worked in retail, you shopped in retail, and you know what it is. You know, they, they are so, the retail people are so cognizant about displays that, that uh, they send paperwork down from home office to make sure the displays look just like they want them to. They have these things called end caps. That's what's on the end of the counter that's set there. And you know what it's there for? It is to catch your attention and say, you need me. And basically we go in there and we buy things we don't need and we don't want because it looks like it needs to be in our house. That's what a display is. You know what? There's never been a display like Calvary's cross. When you think of the crucifixion, you think of Golgotha. First of all, it was up on a hill. On that hill, we, we have in our minds sometimes that Jesus carried that 300-pound cross after losing probably half of his bodily fluids, he, that he carried it down those 600 yards to, uh, down the Via Dolorosa to the place of, call, of the skull called Golgotha. More likely, he carried that 125-pound stipes, the, the cross member. So if you picture this in your mind, you have this hill, this mountain, and in top of that mountain, there is a perpendicular pole. Then when Jesus gets there with that cross member on his shoulders, they lay him down and they nail his hands through the, through the wrist and they raise it up and they drop it into a little uh, catch there that will hold it up. The bottom of that cross member is six to eight feet off the ground. Now get this picture in your mind. You have the, have the, the pole, that patibulum standing up, and then the cross member, and the bottom of the cross member is six to eight feet off the ground, and it's already up on a hill. He was crucified in a display for all to see. But you know what else? 
the cross displays. That's the literal picture. But you know, figuratively, you know what that picture shows? First of all, it shows the wisdom of man. <laughs> and you go, wait a minute. Maybe I should have put up there the lack of wisdom of man. Because Paul, because Paul writes, as he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 29, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and set aside the understanding, frustrate the understanding of the experts. You know what the truth is? Everything that we think we know is rubbish compared to what he knows. You know, you know why that is? Please listen. Because what we think the answers are many times are in totally diametric opposition to what God is, knows they are and what God teaches us they are. It's called kingdom principles. And we'll get to that a little, a little more later. But here's what I will tell you. It says, since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. And you can back up in verse 20. Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? You see, our Lord, our Lord put the cross up there to show us just how dumb we were. To show us that what we think is right and true and accurate is not so. That is an offensive message. That is why the cross is offensive. Because everything that we think that we know, everything that we feel is right, God says, hey, you better wait a second. You measure by the wrong standard. The cross displays the wisdom of man, but it also, number two, displays the weakness of man. If we move over here, and we'll use this again, God's, verse 25, it says, God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. You see, mankind, that is you and me, we do not have the um, capacity to overcome by ourselves. We don't have the capacity to save our own souls. We don't have the capacity to forgive sin. We don't have the capacity to bring life from nothing. We don't have the capacity for a whole lot. And here God is using death using shame, using pain, using blood. Something must be going on. It's okay, Nail. It'll be okay next time. God is using all these things to teach us. He is using all of these things to teach us about where our life really comes from. And the cross displays our wisdom or lack thereof. The cross displays our weakness. And the cross also, number three, displays our wants. You know what most of us really want? Most of us want to brag on ourselves. If I were to ask, what do you really want? We're sitting in the church, and we would say, well, I want to serve Jesus. I want to honor God. Now, while that is the right answer that we should give, is that really the answer that our lives live about? Hello? Yes, a lot of times we know the right words to say, 
But we don't do the right things. And the cross displays what our wants are. Look, he says if you're going to brag on anything, don't brag on yourself. Brag on Jesus. And I dare say that the cross itself displays how much we want. Are you listening? How much we want to brag on ourselves. And God's saying, you think you're so good? Watch this. In death is victory. In the cross is forgiveness. In the, how does he take, I'll ask this again in a second, how does he take red blood and wash our souls white as snow? You know what man wants to do? We want to say we can handle it. We want to say we can handle it. Good, Christy's not here. Reminds me of Christy when she was little and now Piper. I know we're the only parents that's ever heard this. Me do it myself. Me do it myself. And you know what the truth is? If you let one of your children try to do something they're incapable of doing, they're going to be in a mess. Do you know that God responds to us the same way through Calvary? If we try to do something that we're spiritually too immature to do, too weak to do, not wise enough to do, you know what happens? We get in a mess. And the cross is the display that reminds us. That's why we should come to the cross regularly. It divides people. It divides philosophies. It divides plans. It displays the wisdom of man. It displays our weakness and it displays our wants. But number three, it demonstrates. It demonstrates. Now, what does it demonstrate? Well, Larry works to BJCC full-time, and he works here almost full-time. So, Pat, I don't know what you do for a husband at home because he's gone all the time. Amen? <laughs> oh, she has a good life. Is that what somebody says? Okay. Larry works at the BJCC, Now I've not been down there for any of these shows, but I know that in the, on the coast we have the Coliseum, and I dare say they are managed basically the same way. But on, any, on a weekend, there will be a show that will come in there where, where vendors will come in and show their wares, and there's always a guy with a microphone on like this that's demonstrating something. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, when I'd go to those shows, I always like to get close to where the guy demonstrating the knives were. He, do things, he would do things with those knives that you would think, how did he do that? And simply what he was doing is showing how these knives would work. Do you know that the cross of Christ demonstrates a lot of things for us? And I'll just hold it to three. It demonstrates, first of all, the plan of God. It demonstrates the plan of God. Now, you know what the plan of God is? We said it this morning. It is to bring peace and wholeness to you and me. The plan of God is to reach into our broken down lives and bring us back to a new relationship with Him, a place of wholeness, a place of pureness, a place of of cleanness, and a place to where we can now re relate with Him because He does not relate with sinful people. Remember the Garden of Eden? When they fell into sin, 
He didn't fellowship with them anymore. Oh, yes, he put in motion to provide a way, but he did not fellowship with the sin because God will not allow sin. You see, I believe this, and I think I've said it before here. I have this deep-seated belief. This is my belief and not the Bible. Okay? This is my belief and not the Bible. I have this belief that when Jesus was on the cross, that God's plan was for all of the sin of the world to be covered on Calvary's cross. And I believe that in a spiritual way that when Jesus was dying that day, that God was looking on his son and all the sin of the world was being paid on that, on that cross. It was a corrupt, vile act. It was a corrupt, vile sacrifice. And God got to the place he couldn't look at it anymore. So the very reason the world went dark is he took his hands and he cupped the world and locked off the sun so he didn't have to look at it anymore. You see, God's plan was to use the cross to take care of our sin once and for all. It's the plan of God. It demonstrates the plan of God. He took a perfect lamb, his only son, and he sent him to a cross. And those thorns that pricked his head and he bled freely. Those nails that pierced his hands and feet and he bled freely. The abuse, the bruising, the ripped flesh from the scourging. God's plan was to use all that to bring about the offer of redemption to you and me. The plan of God. But that not only it not only demonstrates the plan of God, it also demonstrates the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things so that he may bring to nothing those things that are viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. You know what God does? He takes the cross, and at His will, He makes the things that we think that are so important, so tantamount, so needed, and He makes them rubbish at His pleasure. At His pleasure. God uses the cross like we could never imagine, which brings us to the third thing that he demonstrates, and it demonstrates the power of God. It demonstrates the power of God. Now, here's what I want to say to us. God's kingdom principles works in reverse. I've already said that one time, but I want you to catch it. I want you to catch it. What we call, what we reject, God reuses. What we say is garbage, God says is gold. What we say is broken, God uses as blessed. God is into broken things. When we think of the power of God, think about this. 
is that God took nothing and he spoke words. And I don't know who heard it. I don't know who responded to it. But he took nothing and he made the universe from it. On the Calvary's cross, he allowed his son to die. As my Uncle James would say, graveyard dead. And then he brought him back to life. That is the power of God. God takes broken things and he reuses them. He takes broken people and he uses them. And he only does that through the power of the cross. The world looks at the cross and they see defeat. They see brokenness. They see blood. They see hurt. The Christian looks at the cross and they find forgiveness. And they find salvation. And they find a cross of of suffering, they find a cross of shame, and they find a, a camaraderie, and they find a connection to God through the cross. Only God can do that. When I think of the cross, I'm reminded of, I think it's Judges 7. My resident theologian will correct me if this is not it. I think it's Judges 7. story of Gideon started off with multitude of people, wound up with 300 people. And God didn't give them weapons. He gave them these pitchers, clay pots, that they put a lamp in there, only 300 of them. And he said, at the sound of my voice, break the pitchers. And they broke the pitchers. And God used those lamps to defeat a nation. When four men decided to take uh, a lame man to Jesus, they couldn't get in. And God used a broken roof. To get the man to Jesus, God is into broken things. That is the way He speaks to us. By the way, if it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God in your life, perhaps it's you that needs to be broken once again. God still resists the proud, but He still gives grace to the humble. The power of the cross is the power to change a life, the power to change a church, the power to change a community, the power to change a country, a continent, a planet. When we bring people to where they see the cross one more time, recognizing that that cross is a dividing line in society. Some will, some won't. Some have, some haven't. And that it displays, it displays the wisdom of man, the weakness of man, and the wants of man. And it demonstrates the plan of God for you and me, the pleasure of God to bring us back to himself, and the power of God that he will stop at nothing to get us back. Not even the death of his only son. Now, if you haven't listened thus far, let me just finish this with this last thought. The message of the cross directs us. It directs us. When I think of this, when this thought comes to my mind, I'm reminded of when I was in school. We was in a very small town. Our entire police force was one cop. And when he was on duty and school was getting out, he was out there directing traffic. 
looked like Barney Fife. They're expecting him to pull out his bullet at any time and show you. But people knew what to do because he was directing them. Did you know, and you do know, that you want directions in life? It comes from the cross. There's an old song that says the way of the cross leads home. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The song says, at the cross where I first saw the light. What light did you see? May I just suggest that you see the light at the end of the darkness? The light at the end of the tunnel? You see the light of light? You see the light of the world? You see, the cross directs us to the light. But here's what I want to tell you when I think about this directing us. Now, hang on, I'm almost through. There is an old liberalistic in, the, in philosophy musical that has in it this song, day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray. And as I was praying through this, those three things came to my mind, and I believe that's what it directs us to. Let me make the case just for a second. It, it directs us to see more clearly. To see more clearly. For you see, we'll never see more clearly than when we're kneeling in front of Jesus and we look into his face and we see his eyes of love and we see his eyes of grace and we see his eyes of compassion. We'll see that it was not the men nor the nails that hung him on the cross. It was his love for you and me. When we kneel there in abject submission and brokenness, we'll see clearly that it doesn't matter what goes on in our life, that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he wants to have a relationship with us so that he can intercede for the, to the Father for us. The cross directs us to see things more clearly, that he really is the way, truth, and life. And when we see that, the cross will direct us to love more dearly. How can we look at Jesus, come fresh face-to-face with Jesus hanging on a cross, and not say, oh, Lord, thank you for loving me? Bob... Blake and some others, but Bob comes to my mind, sings the song that when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. If, if when he was on the cross, I really was on his mind, shouldn't I love him more today than yesterday? Shouldn't I love him more tomorrow than I do today? Shouldn't I, I want to have that closer connection? With him, shouldn't I kneel? And if I've never knelt before, if I've seen him on the cross and I see it clearly that he paid the price for me, that he loves me, and I love him, and I respond by inviting him into my life to be the way, the truth, and the life of my existence, to love him more. Then the third truth that you already can say in your mind. 
is to follow more nearly. May I suggest that a life or a church that has lost sight of Calvary's cross can put a lot of things in forefront in their lives. And what we'll find is that that believer will become colder and colder and colder to the things of God until one day we return to the cross and we see it once again. Thirty-odd years ago, Deborah and I were at a church. I was out visiting one night, and I was ministering music at the time. And Out visiting one night, this man said to me, he said, You know what? He said, I'm not coming to church because I don't like some of the things the Bible says. And in my mind, you, just, you know that I think like this. I go, I'm thinking, well, I don't like some of the things it says either. So what are you talking about? So I, I, I really inquired. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, let me tell you some of the things that I just don't like. I said, okay. He said, I don't like what it says about women. He said, I don't like what it says about hell. I don't like what it says about the virgin birth. When he got through with, I'm just giving you three of all the things that he told me. And when he got through, I said, well, you know, I don't like some of the Bible, too. He goes, you're a minister. I said, it's okay. I'm just, I'm not super spiritual. I'm just me. I don't like some of the things the Bible says, either. He goes, well, what don't you like? I said, you know what? I really don't like the part where it says that Jesus died on the cross for me. I don't like the part where it says that it was my sin that put him there. I don't like the part that says the blood he shed, he shed for me. The message of the cross is he did it all for you. He did it all for me. Do you remember that old song? I'll tell you, I remember the Oak Ridge Boys when they were in a gospel music. They used to sing, once a man whom we know as the Son of God hung upon a cruel tree. He suffered shame as no mortal man. He took my place. He did it all for me. When he suffered and died, bowed his head and he cried. He took my place. He did it all for me. Let's pray together.